This episode of The Chase Report is brought to you by the Institute for Abnormally Long Podcast Episodes and High Performance Listening. You're more than one third of the way through this one, mate. Do you want this? Do you want this? Only another 20 minutes to go, champion. You can do it. Come on. Striving for mediocrity in a world of excellence, this is The Chaser Report. Hello and welcome to The Chaser Report for Thursday, the 21st of October. I'm Charles Firth and I'm here with Gabby Bolt. Hello. And Dom Knight will be here later in the episode, but he's he's just been a bit delayed uh, due yeah. to an incredibly embarrassing medical problem. Oh, great. He'll we, love us mentioning we, that. Well, actually, he asked me not to mention it, oh. so um, we probably shouldn't. It's amazing to me that you two have remained friends for the amount of time that you have. I know that we give off the impression that we're friends, but... Um, <laughs> It's, it's all a lie. It's, uh, it's just, just the best acting of your career and you've like talked to the Westboro Baptist Church and everything. Yeah. This is the best acting take you've yeah. ever had. It's a long con. Well, Charles, big news. Oh, big yeah. news. I don't know if you've heard, no. but Prue Goward oh, has yeah. just discovered mm. that poor people exist and contribute to society. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, Prue Goward, she's the, she's a parliamentarian, isn't she? She's uh, yeah, I in, believe so. Yes, yeah, she in, did run. In the New South Wales yeah. upper house. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone would vote for her I if remember, they directly uh, voted for her. Yeah, I remember her running around the same time that um, Gladys was running for Premier. Yeah, she's well. that sort of pompous woman, isn't she? That, yeah. that sort of talks in a posh accent. Well, I'd say because some of the language used in the recent financial mm. review article entitled Why You Shouldn't Underestimate the Underclass is... Like, worthy of a Dickens novel. Well, go on. What what did she say? Okay, well, the first little blurb of the article says, They are damaged, lacking in trust and discipline, and highly self-interested, but the poor are still a force that Australia needs to properly harness. It's just kind of like she intended good things, and then the language betrayed her. (laughs) (laughs) She's supportive. She's supportive of the poor. I think that's... That's all she's trying to say. My, my yeah. per- a lot of people have focused on on the use of the word proles in this article. People have focused on you know the fact that she's so out of touch. But for me, I think the funniest thing, as somebody who is the daughter of a social worker, mm. is the sentence where she says, "Social workers traditionally good young men and women who." Who thought it would be nice to be kind for a living, despair of their appalling housework, neglect of their children, and notably their sharp and unrepentant manner when told to lift their game by the patronising do-gooder. Oh my god! I sent this, I sent this to my mum, and I said, "Thanks for choosing to be kind for a living." Yeah. <laughs> well, and regretting it. Yeah, she wrote back, "Oh, yeah. what the fuck?" <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. you heard it here first. Krugard just discovered that the working class exist. Well, I suppose. Like, what's the solution to to columns like this? I, I, well, I presume immediate revolution amongst the proles. Oh, you, oh, well, I mean, you would think maybe something more constructive, mm. like, yeah, maybe getting people who think this way out mm. of the places where they make yeah. a decision for the many. But uh, my personal solution to this is just getting, um, you know that show Undercover Boss? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Giving her an episode. I'd love that. Where she's the boss. Yeah, and she has to go undercover and like live as the people who work in the working oh, class. Yes. Know what it's like to be a pro or a, yeah. worse, a social worker. Oh my God. Can you imagine? And then at the end, when she has to do that bit where she has to give back to the workers, mm. she'd find out that they have kids and go, oh God, no. And then the whole episode <laughs> would be over. Her daughter is Kate Fisher, of course. So oh, so she has kids. She's got kids. Yeah, oh, yeah. big fan of kids if you have money yeah. then. She's got, you know, very famous socialite of the 1990s who, who was. 
was engaged to Jamie Packer. Oh, yeah. So gosh. well, yeah. I've been doing it wrong. I've been doing it. My mother was wrong. Yeah, I grew up in the social worker, working class life, and it's, yeah. I've just got to talk, call her and tell her, Mum, why didn't you just become a socialite? It would have made things way easier. You know, there is another solution to this problem. Oh yeah, which is to not read Prue Goward's columns in oh. the AFR. Oh, I didn't realize that was an option. Nah. I yeah. don't have. I don't have to read articles that are the yeah. batshit insane that you know yeah. promote eugenics. It is such a horrible. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think of that before. No. Oh, oh, okay. Well, if you you heard it here first, if you see a bullshit article, mm. um, you don't have to click on it yeah. uh, and read it. Uh, unfortunately, as, as satirists, we kind of have to give into it a bit. Yeah. But this is the best satire there is. Just don't read it. Coming up on the show, we're going to talk to Craig Rucastle about the influence of politics in money and how it links to why you know the National Party is going so so slowly on climate change mm. at the moment. And also a deeper, a deep dive. Ooh, I've got my snorkel. Where are we going? We're going to deep dive into Colin Powell's. You can't say, you can't say deep dive into Colin. Well, there's... Not a great sentence. There's, there's a lot of, to investigate. He died on Tuesday and we want to just um, deep dive into... Respectfully. Yeah. Into his colon. Yep. But all that coming up after this with Rebecca Day and Amuno in the Jason Newsroom. The same government that called for Senate hearings over the ABC paying the legal fees for their journalists has announced they are using taxpayer funding to pay for Gladys Berejiklian's legal fees during her ICAC investigation. The move is being referred to as one last dodgy deal for old time's sake, with hopes it will be the rort to end all rorts until the next rort. Scott Morrison has signed an arms deal with North Korea after learning they've produced a brand new submarine that launches ballistic missiles. Hoping to add yet another sub to his collection, Scott immediately bid $90 billion for the submarines, outbidding all other nations by $89,999,999,999. The unlikely partnership between the two countries has been labelled NUCUS. Squid Game has come under fire from parents who fear that watching it will make their children violent. The innocent parents are baffled as to why showing their children gory depictions of death would have such an effect and have called for the show to be cancelled or made more family-friendly. Child psychologists have stated they believe this is why our species is doomed for failure. That's the latest updates from The Chaser Report. I'm Rebecca Dayunamuno. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Well, the big question in Australian politics at the moment is what on earth are we going to do about climate change? Why does nothing ever happen? And someone who has an answer to this is Craig Rucastle. He's just directed the documentary. The Big Deal, which looks at the influence of money in Australian politics. Hello again, Craig. Good to be here. But yeah, it's it's kind of interesting what's going on. It does. You are oh, actually. Actually, can I can I do something radical here? Mm. Can I contradict my own documentary? Oh dear. Not two days after it goes to. <laughs> it's end. already out of date. Wow. <laughs> New cycle changes quickly. Well, I was thinking about it because because it's fascinating. You watch the kind of. The battle between the Nats and the Libs, right, over the mm. climate and over, you know, net zero, right? Mm. 
Now, the Liberal Party gets massive amount of donations from the fossil fuel industry, and that definitely has influenced their approach over the years, and it's still influencing it now in the fact that they're still... The whole line is, yeah, we'll be net zero, but it's not going to affect any fossil fuels. Like It's like they, you know, in Australia they said, you know, but still we'll just be exporting just as many. Don't worry isn't, about it. Isn't their master plan even to for it to cost way more in 2050 so they will make even uh, more yeah, money? We'll be increasing. We'll be yeah. increasing ourselves. Exactly. So look, 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 they're influenced by that. But what I find interesting about the current debate, right, is that it does show that the democratic impetus, like the kind of having to win a seat and people's votes does matter. Because I reckon... If you look at the kind of slight panic in the Liberal Party, the fact that they're more about we've got to have a proper target and there's all these members that want it, that's because in a lot of seats around Australia, the Libs are actually facing kind of, you know, these grassroots movements that are pro-climate or they're facing facing a kind of rebellion for people who said, hang on a second, you've said you're pro-climate for the last three elections, but you've done nothing on it. Mm. So it does show that, it's, you know, that democratic impetus does have some effect there. So therefore, my whole movie's wrong. Isn't the trick, (laughs) though, that it's a sort of branding issue and the Liberal Party will end up just going, okay, well, we sort of split almost from the National Party. We're totally climate now and climate friendly. Yes. And then the National Party will, will play their own constituency and then after the election, they'll all pash and make up. <laughs> That's an image. And, yeah. Come here, Barnaby. Oh, come on. Tell me <laughs> yeah. that Barnaby hasn't pashed you in the past. Come on, you're a woman. <laughs> We've all pashed Barnaby. Oh, sorry, I forgot I'm walking boobs. Yeah, my fault. No, but, so they'll all pash and they'll make up. And, and, and if you're wanting to really, you know, talk about the role of money, they it doesn't really matter whether they're successful electorally or not because Clive Palmer will just pay to for all the sort of protest vote you know votes anyway he'll yep. get his sort of four percent deliver them all back to the coalition anyway and so it just sort of doesn't matter like I think your your movie is actually more right than your analysis rejecting your mood. <laughs> I totally reject that, Charles. I'm wrong. <laughs> no, but you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right about the kind of branding thing, and that is is correct. But that's the problem now for those those liberals in those seats where they mm. do have, a, you know, whether you know, it's the kind of Zali yeah. Stegall thing. You know, Zali Stegall took it from Tony Abbott. Now, Tony Abbott obviously had a bigger profile and a lot more people that hated him for various reasons. But in those kind of seats. It gets to a point where in the past they've kind of gone, well, I'm in favour of the climate, so I'll do my best when I get down to Canberra. And they've achieved nothing, essentially. But there hasn't been alternative, there haven't really been alternatives. They're in electorates that really are never going to vote Labor or Green or anything like that. And mm. that's why the kind of Voices for movement's quite interesting. Because yes. they're like grassroots yes. movements that if done properly have connections in the community. And they're kind of, in a sense, they're not... They're not as left-wing as the Greens. They're probably more like, you know, they're no, green they're liberals. liberals they're, they're all libs, yeah. No, no, because yeah. I've got a friend who's running the um, focus groups for Zali Stegall. Have I, have I, I've told this before, but I'll repeat it again, which is extraordinary. He did the first focus group for Zali Stegall yeah, like ages ago mm. um, when she was first considering running. They only had libs in the focus group because that's uh, the, the testing is just liberal yeah. women. 
And they all went, oh, yes, we love Zali Stegel. No, we'll definitely <laughs> vote for Zali Stegel. And I know her. You know, like, they all knew her because yeah. she was known well, in the community. But that's the kind of challenge. And so, look, you know, I'm not backing one party over the other, but I'm just saying it'll be fascinating to see because if there is an alternative, it changes that dynamic mm. for yes. liberals. And also you've seen all of those people that do have those movements and everything are the ones that are starting to be much more vocal. It's like, oh, mm. you seem to be actually going in the media and saying we need a proper climate policy. I wonder why that is. But isn't it also going to be a little bit silly in that Albo's come out and said, okay, Labor's going to you know, help the Liberals pass this without the Nationals, if that's what has to happen. And so ScoMo is going to paper over the problem, commit to some far-off 2050 target that doesn't require us to do a damn thing now, and then Labor will lose the next election because the one problem that he has politically will have been solved by Labor. But, so but what you're saying is Labor would be idiots to pass it. Yes. So de- therefore, they will definitely pass it. Oh, They're idiots. Right. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you like. I actually think, like, to be honest, I think Labor is more scared of another climate election than the Libs are. To be honest, so oh yeah, they're, probably... they're very good at self wedging. They don't even mm. need. <laughs> they don't need a sort of another party to help them wedge. They can just yeah. do it on their own. And remember, I mean, look, Labor. When we when we added up the kind of fossil fuel donations, Labor and Liberal, it wasn't that much difference between the two of them. Oh, of course and not. Good one. Labor still, of course, backs gas, gas, gas. So, it's the the difference between them is not overwhelming. Um, there's some voices for movements actually starting in Labor seats as well. So, fascinating to see what effect that has. Both Labor and Lib uh, rules uh, voted in favour of doing the gassing up the 12 apostles. They're going to do gas mining around the 12 apostles. And I must say, having seen the 12 apostles, <laughs> I must say they're not as sin- – uh, there's not even 12 of them. There's like <laughs> eight or seven or something. Yeah, yeah. And so the idea that you'd light them <laughs> up – The problem is how misleading the apostles are. No, but it'll be all like gas and they'll be all on fire. and like You could oh, do really yeah. cool things for tourism if you have a whole lot of – gassy sort of fires around them. What do you find fun? I'm convinced <laughs> that you, like you're one of those people that sees fireworks and goes, ooh, Char- fireworks aren't interesting. Charles likes his nature on fire, in <laughs> yeah. which case, have a love go, boy, do the Nationals love you. <laughs> I've, always, I've always wondered who those giant exploding fireballs outside um, Crown Casino were for. <laughs> At first I thought they were just sort of getting rid of all the money laundering evidence, but it's clearly for you, Charles. You're clearly the yeah. one person who likes a massive amount of natural gas being wasted. He's like a moth. Yeah. He's like an idiot moth <laughs> attracted to flame. <laughs> How much does the chaser have to raise to buy Australian politics? Yes. Um, I reckon uh, – yeah, that's a good question. Like, you want to buy all of it? Or yeah. just, no, I just want to buy enough <laughs> to do whatever we want. I, I think it would be okay. much better if we just decided what was going to happen. I reckon if you – like a couple of mil – Gets you a pretty good, oh, decent say in there. That's just like one really dodgy water sale. That's a good return on investment. It's always a good return. Oh, oh, this is the one thing you learn from looking at donations, man. It's the best investment you ever make. Like you put in a hundred grand, you're going to get way more out the other side. So uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're a fool not to invest, Chaser. Well, I think uh, <laughs> the Chaser Bowling Club is now up and running, and uh, we'll be and and car park. 
Yes. Got bowling club and car park society. Yes, yes. I suppose yes. if you can't beat them, join them in the worst way. Yeah, um, yeah. But I exactly. mean, I wouldn't mind a few extra. Yeah, just things. just don't mention that we're into live performance because they um, won't touch us yeah. with a six no. foot pole. Charles, Charles, with your love of fire, you'll be into gas very soon. I, I <laughs> love, I'd love it if you did end up and it became because Charles has always been wanting to have Chaser Airlines or Chaser whatever. I love Chaser fossil fuels. How this accidentally leads in. Chasing gas fields. <laughs> <laughs> All right, check out the big deal on iView. It's the first episode's up now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode is brought to you by the Institute for Abnormally Long Podcast Episodes and High Performance Listening. You skipped through this podcast to get here, didn't you? Are you a worthless piece of shit or are you going to go back to the start and earn those ears of yours? Get back in there, mate. And now it's time for another Deeper a Deep Dive. That's right. Lots of podcasts will give you deep dives, but only this podcast gives you deeper deep dives. Yeah, but you never want to commit to deepest, do you? Because we wouldn't want to be factually inaccurate. Well, what about deepish? Yeah, deepish dives. Deep-ish. Now, Colin Powell died on Tuesday. Oh. He did. And, you know, he was a sort of former uh, Secretary of Defence, a big Pentagon guy, around for many, many years, dating back to the Vietnam War, actually. And, look, I know we're supposed to venerate the dead. You know, as Andrew Hansen said, you know, no matter how terrible they were in life... Yes, even pricks turn into top blokes after death. <laughs> and And, look... Colin Powell was no different. Even Barack Obama joined the veneration parade. He tweeted out, Michelle and I will always look to him as an example of what America and Americans can and should be. Etc, etc, etc. Everyone came out saying how great Colin Powell is. Although, I must say, th- there were also some takes by more conspiracy-minded people. One tweeting out, he made up fake bioweapons in Iraq and then died of a fake bioweapon called COVID. So oh. <laughs> that was quite a good... Taken him. Anyway, I just thought, for the sake of balance, yeah. uh, why don't we just go through some of Colin Powell's greatest hits? Just remember back some of the things he actually did during his career. Sure. So uh, let's start all the way back, 21st of January, 1991, when the US bombed the only factory in Iraq that produced baby formula. Oh, my God. And Colin Powell dismissed the attack, saying that it was not an infant formula factory, which it was but that it was, quote, a biological weapons factory of that we are sure, right? And this is, this is a running theme in the Colin Powell story, which is he is very sure of things that turn out to later not be in any way true. Why, why do I get the feeling that this uh, memorial is not going to be as <laughs> loving and remembrancey? As you've let it on to be, Charles. The thing that surprises me is that so far you've pronounced it Colin, whereas um, in America they say Colin. Oh, Colin. Yeah, so sorry. I think you should call him, if you don't like him, call him Colin. Well, he is a bit of a Colin, isn't he? Anyway, so because I think the peak moment in his career was, of course, that fateful address to the UN Security Council 
on the 5th of uh, February 2003. I'm sure we all remember it. Yeah. Gabby, how old were you? Great year. I was seven. I'd lost (laughs) two teeth. But that was the first thing on my mind that day. Definitely. He starts out and he shows a whole lot of trucks going around with mobile chemical weapon laboratories. And they were sort of, they were actually cartoons. They were drawings of these trucks, right? He he just got somebody to, to make them up. And, uh, and this is what he said about We have first-hand descriptions of biological weapons factories on wheels and on rails. The trucks and train cars are easily moved and are designed to evade detection by inspectors. In a matter of months, they can produce a quantity of biological poison equal to the entire amount that Iraq claimed to have produced in the years prior to the Gulf War. That was not true. That was simply not true. They just made up the pictures... I've forgotten. I've got the picture here. I'm having a look at yeah. it. And it, it's a graphical render. Yes. And this is in like 2003. It must have cost a million dollars to make a, compu- a CGI yes. like chemical weapons plant, which had nothing to do with reality. It, mm. it was a hypothesis. But, but it wasn't just biological. Because, you know, they're scary. But what's even more scary than that? Saddam Hussein is determined to get his hands on a nuclear bomb. A nuclear bomb, right? <sighs> Towards the end of the speech, uh, very convincing speech, uh, with his famous line. Indeed, the facts and Iraq's behavior show that Saddam Hussein and his regime are concealing their efforts to produce more weapons of mass destruction. That's right. So he he went in there and look, a lot of people have been saying, you know, maybe he was foiled, maybe, maybe he was just a bit too guileless in believing the intelligence. But... He he was very certain, and he'd even got a whole lot of pictures made up. Like, it's just not true <laughs> about all these things were wrong. Anyway, so skip forward, 2011. Great year. He admits maybe, just maybe he got it a little bit wrong. Like, by then, it was clear the Iraq War was a total stuff-up. Oh. He did an interview with uh, Al Jazeera, and this has been seen as like, oh, and he admitted he was wrong. But if you actually read the Al Jazeera interview, it really, he just blamed his sources for being wrong. He said it has, because it's always, you know, oh, Colin Powell, you know, it was a blot on his record and he admitted that. And so like, the quote is, it has blotted my record, but you know, there's nothing I can do to change that blot. All I can say is that I gave the best analysis that I could, Powell told Al Jazeera. So... It's sort of like, you know, I did the analysis. They got it wrong. And um, so, you know. That sounds like somebody getting out of a school assignment. <laughs> no. Well, that's, I know. didn't well, that do my true. essay. That was true. One of the, one of the key sources for that uh, thing was, was actually a, an undergraduate's um, essay. Oh. I remember there was some incredibly dodgy, because we, we joked about this intelligence on yeah. a show called um, CNNN a long time ago. Mm. And how it was like it was Laura Bush's very very vivid dream. It was the <laughs> primary source <laughs> of the presentation, and it turned out that the actual evidence was even slimmer than what we thought was the case wow. back then. It was we could not believe, it, particularly given Colin, pa- Colin Powell was incredibly widely admired. He was a hero. He was the first Black Secretary of State. He was a war hero, and everyone thought it sounded dodgy. But everyone thought, well, if Colin Powell is holding up this fake vial of anthrax, it must be real. <laughs> And yeah. that's a why we all went time. to war. Yeah. 2001, 2002, simpler, simpler time. So I guess my question is, Charles, yeah. do we know if he's actually dead? 
because the intelligence may be faulty. Well, I, I think that's right. I think um, you know, Izzy is dead as the priests, school children, and doctors that were blown up when he supported uh, the Contras going into Nicaragua in the 1980s. Izzy is dead as the entire suburbs of people that were killed during the US invasion of Panama in 1989? Or indeed, is he as dead as the 306,000 Iraqis that his testimony led to the killing of in the oh, Iraq war? Yeah. Well, no, because COVID isn't even real. He's the Forrest Gump of tragedy. <laughs> no, because Ch- Charles, I've got the quote here of what he said about the My Lai massacre. Mm. He said, um, oh, you know, I was in charge of investigating it. Um, relations between American soldiers and the Vietnamese people are excellent. And then he went on Larry King years later and said, oh, you know, in war these sorts of horrible things happen every Should now and happen. again, but they're still to be deplored. He's just, he's, <laughs> he just keeps doing the same thing. He's <laughs> just a fuckwit. Like, I think that's the point. He's like, you sort of go, oh, no, but he was a real state. No, he was a fuckwit. He was just as bad as the rest of them. It sounds kind of like somebody once told him he was good at something and then he just did that thing for the rest of his life with absolutely no factual evidence to prove that he was any good at his job. Like somebody said, you'd be pretty good at war, hey. And he went, all right, that's what I'll do for the rest of my life. And then he just turned up to all of them. Yeah. Well, he couldn't miss one. (laughs) Well, he was just following orders without ever questioning whether the orders were based on absolute lies and falsehoods. He was the Forrest Gump of war. Oh, my God. I'd argue Forrest Gump was the Forrest Gump of war. You ever seen that movie? He turns up everywhere. Actually, Charles, did you know that his parents called him Colin as a kid? Yeah. But he changed his pronunciation to Colin because of a war hero that he admired. And so everyone has just been calling him Colin for many years at his express wish. (laughs) Who has been guiding this man through his life? Every decision he makes is wrong. Well, I mean, maybe it's a public safety that he's dead now. (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode is brought to you by the Institute for Abnormally Long Podcast Episodes and High Performance Listening. You're almost there, buddy. You're a bloody listening machine. You've got what it takes to be a champion. Now, go back to the start and give me another 10 reps of this episode. Come on. Before we go, I've got a bone to pick. Um, A couple of weeks ago, my daughter, Mm. age three and a half, discovered her new favourite TV show. Oh, yes. It's called Emma, exclamation mark, and it's about (laughs) Emma Wiggle. Emma Wiggle invites you to come into her house and play with her. Then she sings some songs and does various main mundane, dull stuff like <laughs> driving around in cardboard cars and stuff. Mm. Point is, it is my daughter's favourite show. It's the first time she's ever said, Dada, this is my favourite show in the Aww. whole world. I love this. It's torture to watch, right? Mm. Like she, she manages to sort of scrape the word yes. boatiful into every single sentence. Oh, have a boatiful day. No, no, Emma Wiggle. But, but I, I think sometimes when a TV show is really pitched to a certain age group, 
then it, it is boring for adults. But that shows just how brilliant it is as a text. Really. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect crack. It is crack for my daughter. Yes. But now how am I supposed to tell her that bloody Emma Wiggle has quit the group? What? That she's let down her fans, that she's giving the oh. show away, that there's going to be a new Yellow Wiggle oh, well. in, a, in another skivvy, and that she's just going to wiggle off into doing a PhD. My daughter doesn't know what a PhD is. My daughter doesn't give a shit about uh, Emma Watkins's academic future. My daughter is going to be devastated, Emma. Because I was thinking, oh, yeah, totally am bored with your grievance, Dom, until you mentioned that she was going off to complete further studies. Because I feel like that's... Not a bad thing. Like, we shouldn't be encouraging people to just stay a wiggle. We should. No, How what? selfish. What she did is she, <laughs> she became the most famous wiggle by a mile. Like, mm. she is it. Yeah. She, she's the Elvis wiggle, yes. basically. Yes. The rest of them are her support back. And she's just quit. She made it all about herself. She did the spin-off solo show and then she quit. You are making so the this sound are nothing like when now. Fleetwood Mac broke up, Dom. It is like when Fleetwood Mac... It's, it's nothing without Stevie Nicks. But my point is... It's, what are the Wiggles anymore? Dom, They're now just a joke. Is there, They're a joke. Is there any chance of you just tricking your daughter into thinking that the new Emma Wiggle is the well, same as the old Emma Wiggle or whatever you call it? Well, <laughs> well first of all, we might want to learn her name because yeah. it's not Emma. Oh, what is it? No. <laughs> the new Yellow Wiggle sounds very exciting. Yeah. She's 16 years old. Coolest She's job. a dancing champion. She was born in Ethiopia, Charles, so I'm not entirely sure it's going to be a seamless... <laughs> Transition from one to the other. I think. I think. Is it? Is it at all possible that the two of you are perhaps yeah. overlooking maybe what is the most important fact what? that the show is made for children mm. and that children are like sponges for information, so they're just gonna like they're just gonna adapt. I have no doubt that your daughter Dom is just gonna watch the show and not notice anything different because <laughs> she's three. I mean, the one thing I will say though is that the show is so excruciating <laughs> that if I was Emma Wiggle, I would have quit years ago. Again, yeah. I will pitch the possibility, Dom, that the show is not intended for you no, as but how does No, but how does a human being turn up and do that dross every day? I'd it love it. It must have been so awful for her. Poor Emma. Emma, you're forgiven. I would love to see... Dom, be one of the Wiggles. (laughs) What one would he be? Grumpy Wiggle? (laughs) Hi, kids. Today we're going to learn about the reality of life. (laughs) No, I want to be the one that just is asleep. That's the the best role in the Wiggles. Yeah, you'd be Jeff. Wake up, Dom. He's taken too much Xanax. (laughs) I love it. Well, Emma, go well, and thank you for ruining my daughter's childhood. (laughs) Uh, Gear is from Road Mike Friends. We're part of the ACAST Creator Network. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll catch you tomorrow. See ya. Wiggly wiggly woo.